Uh, if you have a Bible, I'm going to get you to go ahead and turn it to Mark chapter 12. That's going to be our text for the next four weeks or kind of our launch point, but we're going to jump around. Mark chapter 12, but we're actually, I'm actually going to read a scripture. We're going to put your finger there. We're going to come back there in about 20 minutes. But I want to read a scripture today just to get our minds in gear in the, in the, in, in the theme of what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, in John chapter 15, these are the words of Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to all believers. And this is an invitation and a promise and a truth and all, all of that wound together. It says this in verse 4. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, can you say it out loud? Nothing, you can do. Thank you, East, as well. Remain in me, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, I want to talk to you today from the title, Way to Grow. Way to Grow. We're going to jump into a new series, and I want to talk to you about Grow. This is our series called Grow. The title of my message is Way to Grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that your word is true. We ask you now, would you speak? God, would you give me clarity where I'm feeling misty? And would you, God, speak the words that I can't speak? Lord, would these not be human words that reach our hearts, but your words by your spirit through the truth of your living word? We open our hearts up to you. We give you our attention. We give you our trust. And we ask that you'd speak to us. You'd deposit the seed of your word into the soil of our hearts and you'd bring us eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Hey, high five three people and say, way to grow, man, and then sit down. Go ahead. prophetic. It's a prophetic call. Way, way to grow, man. Way to grow. Awesome. Hey, I want to say hello to everybody in at our East location and at Bayside. So excited for you. Excited for the group of people in at Halifax that are tuning in every week. There's a growing body of believers there. We love you. We're so excited. And we're so excited about what God's going to be doing in West St. John as well. I'm going to introduce your uh, brand new campus pastor here in the next few weeks. So excited for what God is doing in our city. But today we're launching a brand new series. And if, just to catch you up, if you've maybe joined us in the last few weeks and you're wondering who is this guy, I've never seen him here before. I was gone for like four weeks. It was quite nice, actually. I needed it. Uh, I feel really good, though, now. I'm excited to be back. But my name's Brent. I'm the senior pastor here at King's Church. I've been here for 11 years, and I, I actually started 11 years ago on staff. It was like a week after I got married, and I've uh, been married to my beautiful bride, Melanie, for 11 years. We have three kids, uh, Ava, Aiden, and Alexander, and we're loving life. We're loving church. We're loving everything right now. Really hashtag blessed. Uh, but one of the things I've found in my 11 years of being married, anybody been married for, for like 10 years or more, you really get to know someone when you share a bed for a decade or better, correct? And like I know my wife and we have learned everything, well not everything, but we're learning lots about one another and you learn how to interact, you know, you learn the things about each other that are strengths, you learn each other's weaknesses, you learn the things that you line up on, you learn the things that you're not so in line on, am I right? You learn how to live with each other and you learn the things that you're good at, 
you know, the things that maybe as a team, you know what, we're great at this, and you learn the things that maybe you're weak at. And my wife and I, we've had many successes. I think our biggest successes are our three beautiful kids, uh, but we've managed to stay together for 11 years, and we are, by and large, a happy couple and love in life. But we've also had some things that, frankly, we don't do that well together. I can assure you that if we uh, set out to do any home decor whatsoever, that will end in a fight. It just does. Uh, there are things that our, our personalities and our temperaments just don't line up on. There are talents and gifts that we don't have that we've learned. Hey, we're just not a married couple that are good at that. Like some married couples, like y'all are going to go camping. You're going to like make your own soup out of tree bark. And you're going to hunt your own deer. And you're like really rootsy and outdoorsy. But that's not us. We're going to find a hotel any day. Right? We're all in line on that. One of the things, though, that my wife and I have not succeeded at in our 11 years of creating this life and creating a home, we have become, we've realized, in fact, that we are epic failures when it comes to growing any type of vegetation in our home. For whatever reason, you know, we've been able to grow three kids, we've been able to grow in love, but for whatever reason, if there is a plant of any kind, it will die in my house. Uh, we just aren't able for like our garden, the deer seem to eat it every year in our whole marriage. We always buy hanging baskets, love a good hanging basket, right? Am I right? Come on, hanging baskets. Yeah, we always buy hanging baskets and we have great intentions for them every year. And by like three weeks, they're sun scorched and there's like one little petal left. We just have this gift for murdering plants. I don't know what it is. I was talking to my wife about this uh, last week and I was telling her, I'm going to talk about how we're not good at growing things. And she's like, yeah, we are. I'm like, name one plant that survived our life. And she goes, that cactus. I go, babe, bragging about keeping a cactus alive probably is not a good illustration. Um, but this year, everything changed. We bought a bunch of hanging baskets, as is our ritual, and they all died. But... My wife went to Costco and she bought a tomato plant. We thought it was going to be one of those tomato plants that has big tomatoes. We were wrong. It was a cherry tomato plant. But we said, by golly, we are going to get this one. We are going to grow this one. This will not die on my watch. And so every day we have been out on our deck watering this, speaking sweet nothings to it, like just making sure this thing grows. And I am excited to show you today, people. Don't eat, don't laugh. Look at this. It's alive. You can actually eat this, legit. It's not, no pesticides even. Tr try it for real. We actually grew a plant. Some of you are not sharing my satisfaction with this. There are gardeners right now full on judging my job with twine, aren't you? We've, we've been like a free parent of this. And so up until today, I just let the vines grow where they want. I don't want to put barriers on it. I just want it to, to express itself however it wants. So we've just let our child go where it wants. That's not good. Uh, but it's an amazing thing. Like, my wife and I are legit proud of this. Like, this is an accomplishment for us. We have never succeeded. And there's something quite satisfying. I don't know if you have a home of your own or if you've, maybe for you it's no big deal. Like, you've got a whole orchard and you're just, like, super green thumb and it's not a big deal. But for me, there was something very satisfying about 
buying a plant, planting the seed, watering it, and watching nature do what it's supposed to do. Like something very satisfying happened in my heart when, when this actually grew into a full-on tomato plant. Do you see how much fruit's on this thing? Like there's tomatoes for days up in here. Like it is awesome. But there's something super satisfying when something functions as though it is designed. And we know something about life, don't we? That living things are meant to grow. That, that a living thing is meant to grow, flourish, blossom, and create fruit. And in fact, if this didn't grow and create fruit, and I, I know it's not perfect, it's perfect to me, but if it didn't grow and create fruit, we would say something's wrong with it. There's some type of dysfunction. There's something that's causing it not to grow because we know in nature that living things grow, that when the elements and the environments are correct, when all things function as though they are supposed to, they grow, they flourish, they blossom, they bloom, they create fruit. Plants do it. Animals do it. Humans do it. Living things are designed to grow. Am I right? We, can we establish that pattern in nature? Living things are designed to grow. Now, it doesn't just happen, though, does it? As has been the case of my wife and I, we have been frustrated gardeners. We haven't been able to get things right, whether we were giving too much water or not enough sunlight, or maybe it was bad soil in the first place. For whatever reason, we weren't quite able to grow what we were trying to grow. Growth doesn't just happen even though it is the design. It's possibly a frustrated gardener. If, if you have a child who's not growing how they're supposed to, maybe their growth has been stunted. What does the doctor say? They look and they diagnose that and they say there might be a reason why your child is not growing because we know living things are meant to grow, aren't they? Living things are meant to flourish. Living things are meant to bloom and blossom. And so goes your soul. That God who designed plants to grow God who designed bodies to grow with exercise and with food and with rest. God who designed the earth and vegetation to grow. He also designed your soul. And your soul, not unlike a plant, not unlike your body, is designed to grow and flourish. That with the right elements, with the right ingredients, with the right things in the right mixture at the right time, your soul is supposed to actually grow, develop, and flourish. You are actually meant to grow and develop and flourish in joy and in peace and in life and in knowledge and in wisdom and in purpose. That is your purpose. That's what God made you for. But if you're like me, that's easier said than done. A lot of people, when it comes to their lives, when it comes to their souls, we're frustrated gardeners. We, we don't know where we went wrong. We don't know what it was. We don't know what was missing. We don't know whether it was too much water or not enough sunlight. But if you look around the world, you'll see people looking to different things to try to figure out and crack the code of what's going to make their soul grow and flourish. Some people look to experiences. Oh, I just need another experience. That'll get my heart alive. Some people look to knowledge and wisdom. If I just know more stuff, if I'm just smarter, if I can just educate myself, then I'll feel alive, then I'll grow. Some people, they look to what they do. I just, I have to do the right things and order my life a certain way, and then I'll grow. If you look around the world, you actually see a world full of people who are looking to figure out to actually serve that innate DNA, that innate encryption inside of you that says you were meant to grow and blossom. And all of us come out of the womb, all of us come into this world thirsty, looking for the elements that we need to actually grow our souls. 
we were meant to grow. I find as not just I look around the world at people who are frustrated, frustrated gardeners, frustrated with their growth or lack thereof, not sure how to find it. You actually find it in the church too. Just last week, uh, I spoke, or two weeks ago, I spoke to a person who, who came up to me and just said, listen, I, I love what God is doing in the church, and I come here every week, and I go to CR, and I see people, they're changing, they're transforming, but for whatever reason, for me, it's just not working. I'm still an addict. I'm not getting victory. I'm not changing. What's wrong with me? Why is this not working? You ever ask that question, people of faith? You ever, you ever, ever believed in God, and you can come to church? Maybe you sing the songs, and yet you find every week I leave. I even agree with what the preacher said, but nothing changes in my life. You find that a lot in the church. You find that a lot in your journey of faith. Maybe there are seasons you have gone through. Those of you who have been following Jesus or a person of faith for a number of years, you may have gone through a season where just no growth was happening whatsoever. There are some people who have come to church for decades and you haven't changed a bit. You don't know when the last time something new happened, something fresh happened, some new life burst forth. See, there's a lot of frustrated gardeners. I think when it comes to this idea of growth, both in life, in the real world, and within the church, a lot of us, we don't really know how to grow. We don't know the way to grow. We're not sure. We know that we're supposed to. We see other people doing it, but when it boils down to it, we're not sure what it takes. What are the ingredients? How do I order things so that I grow? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to do a teaching series I'm going to teach on how you grow. And, and fortunately, the Bible, Jesus, he actually lays out for us some systematic ideas that actually help us cultivate a life that will grow as awesome as my tomato plant or even better. So for the next few weeks, if you'll, if you'll give me this permission, I know we have all kinds of different series as this, as this church goes. I have Bible series. I have preaching series where, you know what, it's really heartfelt. Not that this won't be heartfelt, but today I want to renew our minds and I want to teach us some things that I think will help put some handles and, and lock you in so that you will be able to take a step forward in your faith and you will begin to grow and blossom and change. I believe that if we, if we journey together in the next four weeks, you guys into these as well, if you'll lock into what we're talking about, we truly will transform. So I want to jump in today and I want to just talk, I want to open the framework up about this idea of grow. And to do that, I just picked three D's, just to keep it real simple. I picked three D's when I talk about growth that are going to help kind of frame us in. And then for the next few weeks, we're going to unlock what these things mean. But today I have three D's for you. If you're taking notes, you should write these down. This is a series that you should take notes. These are things that you want to know and you want to apply to your life. And so the first D I want to talk to you today about as it pertains to growth is this idea of destiny. Destiny. What you need to know about growth, we already talked about it as I talked about the growth of plants, that you are destined for growth. Did you know that God is a creator God and he's a God who gives life? God actually hardwired you, not just in your body, to, to grow and live for a little while and then die, although death is a reality. But if you read the Bible, if you open the book, you'll actually find that God designed life to go on flourishing without end. That God actually created all things to see no end. The kingdom of God is described in the word as a kingdom without end, never-ending increase. At one point, Paul says, talking to Christians, that we with unveiled faces are being transformed from glory to ever-increasing glory. 
that the imagery in the Bible is that you will never stop living, growing, and experiencing new levels of life. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? And that's very antithetical to the statement that I think a lot of we find when we live our lives in this world we live. When you turn on the news, when you go through your life, what's the narrative? It's not that life is abundant, life is going to go on forever and ever, but it's that, you know what, there's this reality in our world. Like the law of entropy, that just there's going to be dysfunction, degradation, and eventually things are going to dissolve into death and decay. What? That's good news, isn't it? But isn't that kind of the framework that if you look around the world, isn't that what you're going to believe? Especially as we go through life. If you've lived long enough, you've had enough diagnosis, diagnoses. You've been diagnosed enough times to know that your body is decaying. And you look at civilization, how civilizations rise and fall. And we, we look around this world, and it's very easy to frame in your framework that says, okay, you live a little while, and you pop up, and then you die, and then that's it. But the Bible actually teaches an entirely different worldview. The worldview the Bible teaches and what the Bible tries to tell us is that God is a God who gives eternal, forever and ever abundant life. And that should frame in the way you understand your world. That although death is a reality and we aren't naive to suffering, we aren't naive to the things that are going on in this world, our ultimate framework and our ultimate world point of view and what we actually believe this Bible says is that God is a good creator God and he is a giver of life. That's who, that's what he does, that's who he is. God's destiny for humanity his destiny for creation is ultimately life and life to the full. Why is it important we start here? Because if you don't resolve in your mind that God wants you to experience the abundant, prospering, overflowing, flourishing life, you will settle to be framed in for some type of dysfunction, something less than God has created you for. God has created you for life. God is a giver of life. Here's a few scriptures. Genesis in chapter 1, if you read in Genesis 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth and it goes through the days of what God created. And what did it say? God saw all that he had made and he called it very, it was good. Not, oh, that'll expire. It was good. He loved it. It says in Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That is your purpose. It's to live. And everybody knows that to some degree. Even though life can come up and can snuff out the will to live, no child is born wanting to die. It is in the heart of man that I was created for life. Because God gave life. Acts 17.25 says, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Nehemiah 9.6 says, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, the highest heavens, and all the starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything. And the multitudes of heaven worship you. Doesn't that confront just the way we live our lives? And the way you think about God, how often do we think about God as like maybe this distant, detached deity? You think he's out there, but you don't think of him as the source of life. 
Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What a picture. Psalm 36, nine, I, could, I could read hundreds of these verses. Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. God is a giver of life and growth and life abundant is the intent of his creation. I just got to press on that for a minute, that you allow that to frame in how you think about the world you live in, how you think about the life you're living, how you think about the God you serve. When you think about God, do you think that God is ultimately for my eternal joy and life, or do you think of him as some kind of person that you're trying to navigate with, and maybe he'll do good things if you're a good person? God is good. He is the source of life. James 1.17 says God can only be good and that he's never in a bad mood. He never casts shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes from his hand. God is the giver of life. Frame that in before we go any farther. When you think about the world, even with all of its uncertainty, even with all the destruction and decay and the things that you go through, even with the cancer that you're dealing with, even with the, the divorce that you've been through, you've been through dysfunction, you've been through decay, but that does not dictate who God is. God is a giver of life and his intent for his creation is forever and ever increase. It's life abundant forever and ever. The story began that way. If you read Genesis, I wish I had time for this. I actually drew it all out. Maybe sometime we'll do this and I'll show you the arc of the Bible. But if you read the book of Genesis, it begins where? In a, thank you Kingswood kids, in a garden. Yes. The Bible, Bible, Bible college students in the front row. Yeah, it begins in a garden. And God, he, he plants civilization, he plants humanity in a garden. And what does he say in Genesis when he creates the man? Genesis 1.28, he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Do you think of God as someone that wants you to increase? This is someone that wants you to, 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 to never stop increasing? I think if, if, if we're honest, if you grew up in church, didn't you sometimes think of God as the one that just wants to pump the brakes on your fun? Yeah? Can, can we be honest? Don't judge me. Can we be honest in church? Like, isn't some of us think about God as like what, what he wants us, to, like God just has this list of things that you do and you don't, and you don't drink or chew or go with girls who do, right? Like we don't have fun and can't have sex with anybody and like all that stuff, like... Isn't that how we came up thinking about God? And yet the Bible says, no, God's original purpose, and God does not change. He's still this way, is that humanity would be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, increase, increase, increase. That's the heart of creation. That's God's will for you. Someone should say amen. That's God's desire for your life. I know, I know, what you, I know you're going through things. But you got to filter it through the word of God. And the word says that God created you to live. Jesus said it the best because he's Jesus and that's what he does. John chapter 10, verse 10. He was talking to all his disciples. A whole crowd were listening. And he says this. Listen, the thief, Satan, comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, the reason I came, the son of God, God incarnate, God in flesh, the reason I came is that you would have, come on, East St. John, say it. Life, that you would have life and life to the full. Someone, just, just tell the person next to you, I don't feel like this is landing. God is for my life. <laughs> it's a, yes, 
We are going to interact, I'm telling you. God is, God is about your joy. God is about your life. God wants you to live. And this is the arc of the story. He creates life in a garden, and then what happens? Humanity sins. Death, decay, destruction, dysfunction enters the scene. Do you know what sin is? Sin is anything that degrades and decays God's creation. That is what sin is. Sin is not you did something bad. Sin is a disease that decays at life. That is what sin is in its essence. We see sin enter in in Genesis chapter 3. We see this dysfunction happen. We see death enter. And then what happens? God right there in Genesis 3. I wish I had time to do it. He rolls out the redemption plan. And he begins this story that culminates where? It goes to where Jesus goes to the story of Jesus. Where does the climax of the story of Jesus happen? In a? It's in a garden. Yeah. Think about this. The night before Jesus was crucified, where was he? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying in anguish. He was betrayed, taken into custody. He was, he was executed on a tree. And then he rose again out of the earth. And this is why we call this recreation, that the new creation has come in Jesus. So the whole story of Easter is about what? It's about the restoration and recreation of God's original purpose. That's what the gospel is. It's resetting God's original purpose in Jesus. Then what does Jesus do? He goes and he meets his disciples in Acts chapter 1. He says this, the whole earth's mine. All authority has been given to me, Matthew 28. He says, therefore, go and make more. Make more believers. Make more free people. Make more living people in God's image. What's that? It's the restatement of the original commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then if you roll this story all the way further, we're now in the story, this redemption story, this whole story of recreation. And if you read the end of the book in Revelation, where does it end? In a big garden. If you read it in Genesis 21, 22, it's a city. It's a city. God's purpose has been accomplished that, that lots of trees have now happened and it has been cultivated. It has been ordered. It has been brought together. And now humanity lives Without end, without death, the Bible says there will be no weeping or mourning, there will be no tears, there will be no death, that God will be with his people, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and they will live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, without end, increasing in joy and happiness and peace and purpose and wisdom in everything. That is your destiny in Christ. Isn't that amazing? So before we even get into like the, the practical how do you grow, you have got to resolve something. I will not let my circumstances, I will not let loss or death, I will not let it dictate to me what I believe my eternity is all about. And that's why the resurrection is so huge. The grave's still empty, and I still see that my God has conquered death. And so even though I die, I will rise again and live forever and ever. It's about life, life eternal. When Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you have life and life to the full, the word for life is the word zoe. And it means like overflowing life. And it's an eternal word and a temporary word. It's now and forever alive. That's your destiny. That is your destiny. And so as a Christian, and this is why we're doing this series, as a Christian, if God created humans to live forever and ever, growing and flourishing in his image, then what is our calling as believers? 
maybe, maybe reverse the question. Is it appropriate as a believer or a follower in Jesus to not change and grow? No, it's not. Because when you enter into faith in Christ, you have entered into accepting your destiny in him and you start living it now, not then. And so we now are called to grow and change. Paul said it in Colossians 1. Look what he says in Colossians 1, 9. And so from the day we heard, we not, not, not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I could read a ton of scriptures. Colossians 2, 6 is, therefore, just as you receive Christ, root yourself in him, so walk in him, root yourself in him, bearing much fruit. Ephesians 4 talks about it. Church, as a believer, you are called beyond just, I believe in Jesus. Faith is not belief. You can believe something and not put your faith in it. But as Christians, we are called to go from, yeah, I believe in Jesus, to I am taking on this way of life, and I am going to become more and more like Jesus and become more and more alive in the process. That's the call of every believer. Your destiny is to flourish. And so maybe you're brand new at this. Maybe you're a brand new believer. Maybe you've been coming to church for 40 years, and you don't know the last time something changed about you. Today is the day where we take another step. God doesn't call you to complete the race. He just calls you to your next step right now. And so we are called to grow. It's the first word, destiny. Everyone say destiny. Second word is this, design. Design. And this is really where we're going to hang out for the next few weeks. I'm going to break down what I'm going to show you right now. That there is actually a design for growth. Uh, as I've experienced with my tomato, my precious, beautiful tomatoes. Anybody want one, really? Like, like legit. They're, I'm telling you, this is the sweetest fruit you will ever taste. Steve Driscoll, there you go. Am I right? Yes, thumbs up. I am a regular green thumb. What we found out with growing plants, what we know in our world is that you know what? It doesn't just grow, but it requires what? It requires water. It requires soil. It requires a seed. It requires oxygen. And when these things happen, something mysterious happens that even science don't totally know because God just does his God thing and things start to grow. Same thing with your body. You grow because you eat, you sleep, and there are other things that, that are required for growth. There is a design when it comes to growth, and the same goes for your soul, that you are designed to grow, that there are certain elements required for your growth. Now, a lot of the time, we look to different things. and I, I alluded to this earlier. People sometimes think that I'll grow if I have another good experience. Sometimes people think I'll, I'll grow if I just learn. I'll, I'll read a new, I'm going to read the new Tony Robbins book and I'm going to get self-helped into flourishing. Sometimes people think I'll, I'll grow if I just, you know what, I'm going to go to CrossFit and that's going to fulfill me, which, I mean, I'm sure you're in great shape and stuff, but your life does not flourish just from having one isolated element. And in fact, Jesus teaches us that there is a way to grow. And I want to show you this in Mark chapter 12. This is our text for our series, Mark 12, verse 28, Jesus had been being, I would say more than quizzed. He was being like 
pinned and assaulted by the religious leaders. They were trying to trap him and make him look dumb. And so they kept asking him questions. And Jesus, being Jesus, just kept doing like intellectual judo on them and just had them on their backs over and over and over again. And then in Mark 12, 28, says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? What's he asking? Now, to, to, to know this, you got to understand the context a little bit. Now, the Jews, there were two kind of main camps of Jews. There were kind of the, the classic ones that we envision where, where you know that they're, they're hyper-religious, that they have not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole Torah. And then there was this thing called the tradition of elders. They had it memorized, and they kept the letter of the law. I mean, they had law subdivided by subsections, and I mean, they had all kinds of common commentary on how to live the life before God. And so there were some, you know what, it was very complicated. And then there were others, though, just like in our own day, people who believed, like, yeah, I'm Jewish, but really it was too simple and it wasn't producing fruit. And so this Jewish leader steps up and he asks this question. And he says, what is the main commandment? If you were to boil the whole thing down, if you were to take the whole book and boil it into a sentence, what is it? Go, Jesus. And Jesus answers that question. He's basically answering the question, what is the way to grow? Verse 29, it says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no commandment greater than these. This is it. The whole thing works together in that. In another text, Jesus said, I think it's in Matthew, where he said, all of the prophets and the law hang on these. It's well said, teacher, the man replied. And, and actually, just, just so you know the tone here, this teacher of the law isn't being a jerk. He's actually legit having a, a fair dialogue with Jesus. It says, well said, teacher, you are right in saying that God is one and there is none other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices in the world. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus' answer to how to grow. Jesus' answer to how to live the life before God and to step into your destiny is this, is simply stated, love God. Love God. That as you love God, if God is the source of life, as you love God, as you connect your life and live unto him, you will grow. Life is found in loving God. Let me say that again. Life is not found in experiences. Life is not found in a community, as great as that is. Life is not found in, in, in knowledge. Life is found in loving God. That's where you find life. Life is found when you connect yourself, root yourself, live unto God when you love him. Now, I want to just describe for a couple minutes what does that mean Love's a fairly abstract word, isn't it? We use it for a variety of things. I love my wife and I love my tomato tree. <laughs> yeah. So brilliantly, Jesus actually doesn't just tell you, you know, what is the great commandment to love God, but he actually tells us how to do it. 
he quotes something that is in, in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Numbers. It's called the Shema. And the Shema is a prayer that every Jew would pray every day. They still do it today. And it's this prayer, and Jesus quoted it, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. They would quote that prayer every day. And in that prayer is actually the centering uh, knowledge that we need to actually help us arrange our lives in a way that loves God. It actually breaks down what, God, what loving God looks like. Let me illustrate this. So I think we have this on the screen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to draw this. I apologize for my penmanship. It is deplorable. So he says, we are called to love God. Can you see that? That loving God equals life. And he said, and the Shema says, and Jesus reminded us that it, it happens when we love God with our heart and our soul. We'll, we'll put that there, but they're, they're kind of the same thing. There's a little bit of variance, but for our purposes, we'll say that they're, they're one. Your heart, your mind, and your strength. See if I can do this without confusing everybody and myself included. He says, love, this is how you love God. When you point your mind to God, when you turn your heart to God, and when you turn your strength to God, this is what it looks like. So let me, let me break this down. Uh, the mind, let's, let's go there first. What does this actually mean? So when it says love God with your mind, what this actually means, it's, it's your head. It's, it's, it's about your knowing. It's about intellect. Sorry. It's about learning, knowledge. So the key here is to love God with your mind requires biblical knowledge. My mom's here and she's like, I taught you to write better than that. So that, how does that form itself? Biblical knowledge, loving God with your mind would form itself in... Education, learning stuff. To love God with your mind, you actually have to know God. One of the ways that I have grown in love with my wife and she has grown in love with me is that we know more and more about one another. One of the ways that you love God is by knowing more about him and you do that through learning about him in his words. So he says, love God with your mind. Love God with your heart. What does that mean? This is about, so if your mind is about knowing, this is about your being. This means your person. This is about your identity. This is about emotion, passion. So the key here, when we think about loving God with our heart, and I'm going to break all of these down and, and preach from these over the next few weeks. This is about intimacy, relationship. So it forms itself in encounter, experience. God is not a God just to know about. He is a God to be known and experienced. I know about LeBron James, I have never experienced him. There is a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. Am I right? To love God with your 
heart means you actually have to encounter him. This is what separates our faith from so many religions is that we believe our God's a God who can be known and experienced, not just studied. So love God with your heart. One more. It says love God with your strength. What does this mean? This is so if, if, if your mind is about knowing, your heart is about being, your, your strength is about doing. This means your lifestyle. It means your habits, your decisions, your doing. So the key here when we think about loving God with our strength is actions or activity. And this forms itself in obedience. We all right? This forms itself in obedience. Uh, the old timers would call this holiness. And the Bible says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And now here's what I just want to press upon us, and we're going to break these things down over the next few weeks. But just like a plant, if I give my tomato plant only water, it's not going to grow. If I give it great soil and no water, it's not going to grow. If I give it great soil and water, it's still not going to grow. It's going to need sunlight. But if I remove water and I give it good soil and sunlight, it's not going to grow. But when these things combine, they work on one another and with one another, and we see growth. The same goes with your soul. That if you come to neglect one area, it will actually degrade and dis create a dysfunction in your life that, that actually obstructs your growth. And here is the primary reason why so many of us in our faith plateau. Because we come into faith and you have an innate strength, something that you were born with, that you just had a propensity to. Some of you, you are born with great minds and you love to think and you love to dig in. You're a reader. You're a natural studier. We all hate you. <laughs> I'm just joking. But you, you have this inquisitive mind. And so when you came into faith, how did you come in? You were reasoning. You grabbed the Bible and you started just getting into it and digging into it. But if your whole faith becomes just about what you know, there is a dysfunction that develops out of that. And this boils down into what we would call intellectualism. And I know from my own life and from relationships I have had that it is, it is possible to know a whole lot about God and not know him or obey him. And there are entire churches and denominations that are very heavy on this area. And you would wonder if the Holy Spirit showed up, if anybody would even notice. Some of us are born with just hearts. You're a passionate person. When you came to church, uh, worship just caught you up. You, you, you didn't even know the songs. You didn't even believe in Jesus. And you're like, <laughs> right? You just, just naturally got pulled in because God gave you a tender heart. And that's just who you are. And that's awesome. But if your whole Christian relationship is just about experience and encounter, that also can degrade down into something called experientialism. And it's possible to come to church and, and feel the goosebumps and sing the songs and cry the tears. It's possible to hear the word and be like, yeah, preach, brother, and then leave and not be changed. 
and to not change your lifestyle. I mean, let's just be vulnerable. Haven't we all had a weekend where you came and you encountered God and you left and you did something that was just so defiant to him? Just because you've had an experience with God does not mean you are growing. That there's more to it. And then if you were to boil down your strength, and this, this is the, scary one, the scariest one, I would say. This is the one that Jesus loathed so much. And this is the problem in Israel at the day of Jesus. This turns into legalism. That people build this whole faith based on how good I can be, what you do and what you don't do. And then they start measuring one another. It doesn't matter how much of the words you know. Do you ever notice like some of these legalistic people? Like they, do you, you wonder, do you even read the Bible? Because it's not grounded in the word. It's just about how good you are. And that's why you can see some groups that, you know what, they're like, you can't drink, you're a sinner. But they go out and they gorge themselves and they're obese. They're getting too real. No, it's because that's how you start dividing up the word because you're not about the word. You're about what you do and don't do. This is why Jesus said, you, you Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. You do all the stuff, but you're dead inside. See, you're only as strong as your most neglected trait. Like, like if you started working out and you started going to the gym and you just started working out your right arm, you'd have one big right arm, but that wouldn't help you a whole lot when you had to use your left, would it? See, God has designed us that when we pull the whole thing together, that what it looks like to love God is when we activate our minds. You know what? Some of you, you've been coming to church and worshiping, and you wonder, you know what? I'm just not growing. It's because you need to read the Bible. It's because you need to get into the word. You need to memorize the scripture. You need to actually learn what we believe. Some of you, you've gotten into the Bible, but you've never, you wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if it knocked you over, if he knocked you over. You need to learn how to worship. Some of you, I keep barking at you in worship saying, lift your hands. I'm not doing that so I feel better. I know on the other side of your vulnerability, there are some of you that are so opposed to being seen by someone as being intimate with God, and yet that's the very thing that's hanging you up. Some of you, your whole life's just about, you know, well, well, I'm a good person. I did the right stuff, but you don't know the word. You, you've never encountered God. See, when it comes to loving God, he wants to activate your whole person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I, I'm, I'm sure as I look at this right now, and I'm going to help over the next few weeks, we're going to go together. But there is probably an area in your life that you say, you know what, I have neglected that. And there it is. I need more water. I need more sunlight. I need more word. I need some encounter. I need to just get before God. I need to learn how to pray. If you love God with your heart, you love him with your mind, you love him with your strength, you obey him. Some of you need to just be obedient. God's asked you to do something. You've said no. What you've basically done is you've cut the whole, you've severed the vine. You've said, no, I'm not doing it. Some of you need to take that step of obedience. Here's the good news. That as you love God, you will grow. You will change. You will flourish. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1, the whole book of Psalms starts with Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 what's called a centering psalm. It's, it's a lot like the Shema, actually. It's, it's meant to serve as something that kind of writes us and frames in how we're supposed to read the rest of the book. And Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, that's the key word, his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Look at this. Here's the reward. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the invitation. The invitation is to prosper in all you do. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Last word I want you to go thinking about, I'm gonna wrap up, I'm gonna pray and we'll worship, is this word delight. The psalmist says it, delight yourself, delight in the Lord. The word delight is the key, I believe, to growth because... There's a reason we don't come to God is because we, we fundamentally don't think that he's going to satisfy us. C.S. Lewis once said, uh, it's in Mere Christianity, he said, you know, the, the reason, our problem we think sometimes is that our desires are too strong, that we desire bad things. We desire sex in ways that we shouldn't have sex or we desire alcohol in ways we shouldn't have alcohol or desire some experience or something. But C.S. Lewis says, no, it's not that your desires are too strong, it's that you're too easily satisfied. That, that you settle for, for one little piece of fruit, but it's not even real fruit, when in fact, if you gave yourself over to God, your life would absolutely flourish. Um, St. Augustine once said, love God and do what you like. Think about that. Love God and do whatever you like. What's he mean? He knows that as you delight yourself in the Lord, as you come to him, as you root your life in him, your life will flourish and you will become an addict to him. You will so desire him. Uh, John Piper has this, has this kind of term he's coined, Christian hedonism. Hedonism is often a bad term. It's a term of someone who's giving themselves over to their urges and to their desires. What the Bible would say is, no, don't, don't push away your desires. You're just not rooting them in the right thing that you have desire to flourish and live all of the dysfunction, all of this, the bad decisions in your life that haven't produced good fruit were ultimately out of a desire for you to experience life. You know that? That relationship you should never have been in and you look back and like, that was a mistake. At the time you thought this will make me feel alive. That business deal you knew was shady. At the time you thought this will be good for me. You see, every decision we make ultimately is for our life. And the Bible says, don't shift that. God put that there. Shift where you look to receive life in the first place. Psalm 37, four says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? It means as you delight in him, he's the only one that can satisfy you. He's the only one that will truly satisfy you and change your life and bring out transformation and ever-increasing joy, ever-increasing freedom, ever-increasing life, ever-increasing peace, ever-increasing knowledge and wisdom and experience forever and ever and ever and ever. God is a God of life, and as you delight yourself in him, as you root your life in him, you learn to love him with your mind and your heart and your strength. As we learn this, that's when we come alive. We're gonna help over the next few weeks, and we're gonna unpack... You know, what does it look like? What does it mean to love God with your mind and love him with your heart and your strength? Uh, and we're also gonna do some things to help you take your next step. Um, Pastor Greg and Pastor Oliver have done an incredible job uh, putting together a plan for you to grow. It's like a grow plan. I lost my little card. You should have got a card on your, on your thing. 
on your, on your chair when you came in. You guys in at East as well. And what we want to do is help each of us take our next step in this season. I, I love how the scripture says it bears fruit in its season. I just believe that this is a season to bear fruit. I think this is a season where God wants some of you, okay, you've been coming to church long enough. You believe, now it's time to learn how to walk. It's time to become mature. And I think this is a season where God wants some of us to take our next step. I know he wants all of us to take our next step. And so what we've done is we just put together a simple thing. We're not trying to be fancy. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I just want you to take your next step. And so Pastor Greg and Oliver have put together a website. I believe it. we'll throw it up on the screen here. If you go to kingschurch.cc, there's a tab that says grow. And in it, there's a, there's a page that says, discover your next steps. Can you see that on the screen? And in there, what we're going to do, and Greg, Greg being super smart, uh, created an algorithm like Sheldon Cooper. And he created, yeah, all right. He created an algorithm. And if you go in and you go to discover, it's going to come and it's going to bring you into a quiz. Some of you need to get off the internet. You're slowing things down. And, it, and if you take, would take the time, just take a few minutes, it'll take you like three minutes. You plug your name in, it's gonna ask you a few questions. And on the other end of it, it's gonna give you a few options within the life of our church that we know if you will just take that step, if you just water it a little bit, or if you just give it some sunlight in that area, you are going to grow. So that's my challenge for you this week. I want you to just begin to think about where are the areas in my life where I'm weak? What are the areas that I'm neglected? Does my life need a little water of the word? Do I need to prune my life with some obedience? Do I need just the light of God's radiating glory and presence in a, in a divine encounter? Where are you needing some nourishment? And then we're gonna give you the tools to take those steps. Would you stand with me, stand at ease as well? I wanna pray for us. And I want you to go considering how you're gonna take your next step. Some of you might need, don't quote me on this. I'll deny that I said this. Some of you might need to put the Bible down and, get, get, and, and just forget it for a minute because you just, I'll, be, I'll lead the way here. I can very easily read my Bible as a way to avoid getting intimate with God. Some of you might need to learn how to just stop reading for a second and learn how to pray. Learn how to wait on God. Learn how to listen. Learn how to worship. Some of you, you need, you're great at worshiping and you need to learn how to read your Bible. You gotta learn what the word says. You need, to, you need to refine and renew your mind in the truth of God's word. And then some of you, maybe there's just an act of obedience, the next step that God wants you to take and you're gonna find what that is. So let's pray and let's let, let's let the gardener, let's let God have that our lives and bring forth fruit. Father, we thank you today. Thank you that your word is true. Lord, thank you that even though uh, it's challenging at times, God, we thank you that you know just what we need. You know just the area that we need to, to water. You know the area that needs to be pruned and removed. Lord, you know the areas that we need to base our lives in a little depth of soil. Lord, whatever that looks like, God, you know what it looks like. And we thank you and we trust you. Lord, I pray today that each person here, whether they're 90 or nine years old, they would feel you, an eternal father, calling them to take a step into life. That even if they're, if they're closing in on their last days on this earth, Lord, their journey is just beginning in Christ. And so God, would we hear that call that we would never stop flourishing, never stop growing, never stop just transforming from glory to ever increasing glory. And so God, would you put a hunger in us? Would you put hunger in our hearts today that we would be transformed into your image, that we wouldn't settle, 
We wouldn't settle for anything less than real, abundant, overflowing Zoe life. We thank you today for your word, God. Would you speak to us now as we go? Would we plant your word in our hearts and would it grow fruit? We thank you in Jesus' name and everybody said.